If you ever wondered whether good can come from evil, or joy from sorrow, or life from death, you have but to look at the cross and the empty tomb. And this is the path that Christ has called us to follow as well. If we follow Him and we're His disciples, He's told us we must take up a cross, deny ourselves, take up a cross, and follow Him. And we do so not because we love suffering, but because we understand that there's suffering connected to victory. We understand that following Jesus and whatever it costs will be worth it when all is said and done. Well, last week we began our study of 1st and 2nd Thessalonians with Luke's historical account of Acts 17, Acts 17 of how the church in Thessalonica began. You remember that it was not long after the gospel took root in the hearts of people there that a violent backlash began. The faith of these newborn Christians was truly faith under fire. The missionaries would move on to avoid being a lightning rod for the church, but the believers there would continue to face hostility to the gospel. The pushback they faced was actually not unusual. We are told that at the end of their first missionary journey, and Thessalonica was part of the second missionary journey, at the end of the first missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas returned to visit disciples in the cities that they had evangelized, and those very same cities had already encountered persecution. We're told in Acts 14.22, they went there to strengthen the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations, that's affliction, that's pressure, we must enter the kingdom of God. Praise God, we will enter, but it's the pathway of affliction of tribulation. The enemies of the gospel actually behaved very much the same way as Paul had before he was converted. They were aggressive in going after Paul and his companions, as our text this morning will reveal. We're now in Acts chapter 17, verses 10 through 15, the part two of the prequel to our series in First and Second Thessalonians. So, Acts 17, 10 through 15. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, and when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the Word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. Well, the main trial of faith that this particular passage deals with, we find summarized in verse 13, but when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the Word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. So here we go again. More persecution, 
like that in Thessalonica from the same band of enemies, more danger, more trials. And you remember that when Paul and Silas first came to Thessalonica, they still bore in their bodies the wounds of the public beating with rods in the city of Philippi along with the marks of the shackles that they wore in the jail there. This just seems to be a recurring nightmare. It teaches us that there is a cause worth being hated, hounded, and attacked for. In fact, so much so that Christ teaches us in the Sermon on the Mount to rejoice when we are reviled and persecuted. It is a mark of authenticity. It guarantees great reward. That said, No one enjoys the trauma from persecution, not even apostles. It is real danger, real pain, real stress. How is it possible then to strive, to thrive in such a hostile environment? How did the missionaries survive with their faith under this kind of fire? Well, part of the answer is to value the blessings that God brings from such experiences. To this day, God is master of taking trials and producing treasures from them. And we see at least three of those treasures in this passage. In verse 10 and also verses 14 and 15, we see the treasure of brotherly care. In verses 10 and 11, and then later in verses 16 and 17, we'll look at those, we see the treasure of ministry expansion. And then finally in verse 12, and then at the end of the chapter, verse 34, we see the treasure of gospel fruit. These three treasures from Paul and Silas's experience are actually quite universal. You find them showing up not only in trials of persecution, but really trials of every sort in the lives of believers. And we want to study these this morning as part of preparing our minds and hearts for the series in Thessalonians. So first consider with me the treasure of brotherly care. Our entrance into the crucible of trial, persecution, or other forms of suffering creates opportunity for our brothers and sisters in Christ to share in our suffering and to minister to our needs. This expression of practical love strengthens those who receive it, and it strengthens those who give it as well. The fellowship of suffering draws us closer to Jesus and to one another. We learn from 1 John that if we neglect the needs of our brothers and sisters, the apostles would question whether the love of God actually resides in us. That's because born-again people respond to suffering and need the way their heavenly Father does. They want to do something about it. They, They want to express their love for one another by taking care of one another when we meet those times of trials. And so that's exactly what we see in our text twice. In Acts 17.10, the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And then verses 14 and 15, then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. 
Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. So how Luke describes what the Christian brothers did for the missionaries is nearly identical. In the second instance, they sent Paul off, whereas Silas and Timothy remained. It's possible that Paul was the main target in Berea because he was better known. But consider who these brothers are. They are brand new believers. But they clearly have God's life in them. Already they feel a kinship. Already they have a sense of obligation to protect and to care for the ones who gave them the gospel. Their concern for the missionary's safety leads to prompt action to ensure it. They sent them away by night to Berea. They sent Paul off by way of the sea. They had persons accompany Paul to Athens. And, and then Paul actually expresses this, this community by directing that Silas and Timothy join him as soon as possible. He didn't want to be there as a lone ranger by himself. All these descriptions reveal the caring relationship among the believers, not just affection for one another, not just a kind of a generic I love people kind of thing, but practical action that meets the needs of the people that we love. You realize that in your times of deepest need, the individual's that show they're glad to walk with you through the trial, convey a love that is deeply satisfying to the human soul. In fact, to love and to be loved produces perhaps the greatest pleasure that we human beings know. And to experience such love in the face of severe danger and difficulty makes it priceless. It is a treasure often forged from the trials. So let me ask you this morning, who has shown you this kind of practical love? You probably, if you've been a believer for any length of time, could have pages of names there. Have you ever expressed your gratitude to them for their self-denial and their care for you? Let's flip that around. Who are the individuals that you know right now are going through deep trial? This is one of the reasons we share prayer requests, and we try to let one another know what's going on. How would God have you come alongside to care for them? Both you and they need you to do so. It's part of how God helps us endure when our faith is under fire. When I look back through my life and I look through the most difficult experiences of life that, that I can recall, God was always kind to, to give me people in my life, brothers and sisters in my life, who were, who were willing to get down and dirty and go with me through that trial. And I'll never forget it. I mean, every time I see their faces, every time I hear their names, some of them are in glory now, I, I think of how they stepped up to be with me during that time. And, and yet, had the, had the trial never been there before, I would have never had that satisfying experience. So, one of the things that happens when we go through deep trial, and none of us would choose it. None of us would choose to be mistreated. None of us would choose to be diagnosed with cancer. None of us would choose to lose a loved one. We wouldn't choose that. But whenever we go through that, one of the things that happens is it, it gives opportunity 
for our brothers and sisters to show us loving care. The second treasure we see in verses 10 and 11, and that's ministry expansion. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily to see if these things were so. See, Paul's visit to Berea is is somewhat out of keeping with his normal pattern. Berea is not a big city, and it's actually a little off of the beaten path. Usually, Paul targeted the large population centers, and in this case, persecution pushed him into a less prominent area. But the ministry opportunity turned out to be greater there than the city from which he had been driven. The times of disruption, the redirects, the delays, the obstacles and difficulties can feel like failure. And it's easy to be frustrated. It's easy to wish for a smoother path. It's easy to resent the disruption of our plans. But often what we find is that the very trials that seem to scuttle our mission turn out to advance it instead. That's what Paul will say to believers in Philippi during his first imprisonment under house arrest in Rome, Philippians 1.12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. All the efforts to shut down the great apostle Paul, the missionary to the Gentiles, ended up really just promoting what he was doing. The mob attack in the temple precincts, the false charges, the 40 assassins bent on killing Paul, two years in custody in Caesarea, having to appeal to Caesar because the officials wanted a bribe, a shipwreck, house arrest. All of these things worked together for actually expanding Paul's gospel efforts rather than shutting them down. God works this way all the time. It's actually his MO, and I would encourage you to look for it at those times when you hit the rough trials. Arriving in Berea, Paul goes back to his usual strategy, synagogues first. There he'll find those who value worship and the Word of God. But the Jews in Berea outshine the Jews in Thessalonica. How is it? They're called noble. And it's not that they studied the Scriptures. That's what people do in the synagogue anywhere. It was that they were eager to receive Paul's teaching from the Scripture. Their earnestness led them to investigate the Scriptures daily to see whether what Paul was preaching about Jesus being the Messiah was actually true. This is what made them noble. Not that they just investigated the Scriptures, but that they were looking at them to see whether or not Jesus was portrayed there as Paul preached. On occasion after a message, I've encountered pushback. Thankfully, it doesn't happen a lot, but uh, trying to pigeonhole me as a follower of this theological tradition or that one and then taking exception to it usually with a sort of TV district attorney gotcha attitude in front of curious onlookers. Such pushback is usually not very beneficial to anyone, and I'm still working on it. Thankfully, I don't, it doesn't happen enough. I haven't really gotten good at how I feel that. I, it, uh, it is a little rattling. But the question is, what do the Scriptures actually say? 
Efforts to pigeonhole and polarize are generally less concerned with truth than with power or self-vindication. Noble persons, sincere truth seekers, look down at their Bibles and ask themselves, is what I'm hearing what the text is saying or not? And I would encourage you that direction. Let the Scripture speak truth to your heart, especially on those occasions when it seems to be contradicting what you've always thought was so or presenting truth that you never actually considered before. Those are critical moments. They are the catalyst of spiritual growth and transformation. I would never want you to go out from a service like this or any service anywhere with some kind of false teaching. It it is important that you look down to see, is this actually what the Bible is teaching? But, But sometimes our immediate reaction to what we're hearing it is not actually the reaction we should be giving. It's, it's more about this is unfamiliar to me or I disagree with parts of it. And what we want to ask is, is this what the Bible actually teaches? And that's what happened in Berea. Paul enjoyed expanded ministry due to the efforts of his adversaries. Who knows if Paul would have ever gone to Berea at all but for their hateful attacks. They did hate Paul, and they hated the gospel that he preached, so much so that when they hear of Paul's ministry in Berea, they travel all the way from Thessalonica to attack him there. It's about a day and a half journey, like 45 miles. They succeeded in driving him out, but not in closing off ministry opportunities. Timothy and Silas remain with the believers to strengthen them, and Paul is escorted south to Athens, one of the most influential cities in the empire. And here you have a map to kind of see the relationship of of where these places are. So Paul moved from Philippi west to Thessalonica, hits Berea, and then he's going to go almost straight south down to Athens. And we read about what happened there, at least the beginning of what happened there in verses 16 and 17 of this same chapter. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogues of the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Now, at the time, Corinth was more significant politically and commercially than Athens, but Athens was the cultural center of Greece. In fact, if you were putting Berea and Athens on, a, on a, a, a line, a comparison, a spectrum, Berea would be nearly polar opposite to Athens in terms of importance and influence in the Greek world. In Athens, Paul not only teaches in the synagogues among Jews, but also engages in conversations and debates in the marketplace among Greek philosophers. He ends up being invited, because of that, to address the council of city fathers who governed the entire city. Talk about persecution backfiring. They drove him out of Berea, kind of a country town, and he ends up in the cultural capital of Greece talking to the guys who run the place. Remember that the Jews were outraged because Paul was preaching to Gentiles the gospel of a Jewish Messiah. Their efforts to thwart his ministry opportunity 
only led to a wider swath of Gentiles hearing the gospel, exactly opposite of what they intended, but exactly what God accomplished through their evil tactics. The treasure of expanded ministry was directly linked to the trials that Paul and Silas encountered. So I ask you this morning, what trials are you facing? Perhaps you are being mistreated for your faith. I can think of some situations I know about where, particularly where you have a husband and wife and one is turned away from the Lord and there's mistreatment that happens there, maybe even a divorce and difficulty. But, but perhaps in the workplace or other places, you might be facing a trial of your faith because of your faith. But your trial may have more to do, the trial of faith may have more to do with some physical difficulty. Perhaps it's a terminal disease or perhaps something that the doctors just can't quite get a handle on or, or something that's gone on for years and you just, you just long to be free from it and, and it's hard. Perhaps it's some kind of relational difficulty that you're having. Maybe it's gone on for years, maybe it's just cropped up, but, but it's tearing you up inside. All these kinds of trials are common to human beings. Well, let me encourage you to keep your eyes open to the increased ministry opportunities that these very trials create. It is not uncommon that a trial causes you to encounter people you never otherwise would have met. It's not uncommon to find gospel openings that otherwise would have been closed or to have impact on other people in ways you never planned or expected. Don't throw away such treasures from the trials. And third, we see a treasure of gospel fruit. In verse 12, we read, many of them therefore believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. So when we share the gospel, this is the result that we long for. We plant, others may water, but God gives the growth. And to get to see God at work through gospel endeavors is one of the highest privileges we ever experience. A lot of times we're, we're planting, we're watering, and, and somebody else is going to reap the harvest. We, we may never even see it. We might not know about it till glory. We just don't know. But it seems like God, on occasion, gives us enough. He kind of lifts the cover and lets us see enough that say, yes, this is actually making a difference in people's lives. And it's an awesome thing. It's a great treasure. As in Thessalonica, both Jews and Greeks believed there in Berea, both men and women, high standing and otherwise, the gospel is for all people. And the same thing happened in Athens, a very different environment, much more pagan, sophisticated, skeptical. And yet look at the fruitfulness of the gospel there, verse 34 of Acts 17. But some men joined him, now some had mocked, but some men joined him and believed, among whom also was Dionysius, the Areopagite. That Areopagite could be translated Mars Hill. He spoke on Mars Hill, but that's the name of the group of city fathers. They were Areopagites. They were Mars Hillites. They, they were the city council. So one of those 30 men trusted in Christ, along with a woman Luke names Damaris. The gospel seed produced a harvest 
in one of the most unlikely of places. The Lord of harvest sends out his laborers, and he often uses the efforts of the enemy to send them places they never planned to go. But wherever they go, the gospel goes, producing a harvest of souls. I don't know what you've been through, and none of us know what we're going to go through. And sometimes things look difficult, and they look scary. I was listening to my Spotify um, songs that I listened to as having my soul care time, and this song came up while I was thinking about this particular message. Uh, some words from J.J. Heller, the world is just as scary as I thought it was. Your love makes me braver still. You know, in the early days, we kind of, we, we, we read about bad things happening to people in the newspaper. We hear about, we hear about things on the news feed or whatever, and, and we, we have others that go through things, and we think, well, I'm just glad it's not me. But then there's a point at which it comes knocking at our door. And we go through things we never would have chosen to go through. And we find out that there's a lot of hard things in this world. There's a lot of trials that we're called to go through. And yet, as those trials mount up, on the one hand, yeah, it can be really scary. On the other hand, knowing that we're loved by God makes us braver still. There are treasures from the trials. And the love of God for his people is what produces them. There's the treasure of brotherly care. There's a treasure of ministry expansion. There's a treasure of gospel fruit. This week, let me encourage you in whatever you encounter and whatever you're wrestling with to look for these treasures that God produces from the trials. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for your word and the encouragement that it is. Lord, thank you that we see recorded in its pages people that we look up to, but people that are, are going.